New Year, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com. When you do and you order online, use the code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. The discount code ColbyShow will save you 15% off your online order. So I'm really excited that we're able to save you guys a little money. Right now, I know money's tight for everybody, so... Uh, This is really cool with Artisan Botanicals. Again, check out the website. It's amazing, uh, easy to navigate. Place your order online. Use the code ColbyShow, and you get 15% off your online order, whether you're looking for Kratom or whatever it is. Uh, But educate yourself on what they have and how it can benefit your daily life. And if you have questions, feel free to give them a call or stop by their offices, 405-458-9699. All right. Man, we have so much to talk about, so much football stuff to talk about between the college football playoffs, the bowl games, uh, and then the NFL finally reaching their their playoff situation, which we'll discuss, and, and all the job openings. It's been a wild few days in the football world, so we're going to... We're going to try to get to all of it. I, I may miss a few things, um, and I'm probably not going to be able to expand on each of these things individually as much as I would like to. But uh, here we go. We, we, we're going to start with college football, and obviously the college football semifinals that were played on New Year's Day. By the way, it just feels right that we have important games being played on January 1st. I think that's the way it should be. Uh, it, it just, you know, it, it holds on to the college football tradition of New Year's Day, and I love the fact that the semifinals happen on New Year's Day. So very cool to be able to just sit on the couch and snack all day and watch bowl games on January 1. But uh, once again, we had two bowl games that weren't even close, right? We've now had 14 of these bowl games or college football semifinal games where the margin of victory is so lopsided. It's, it's pretty wild to consider that in the seven years since the college football playoff has been instituted, the average margin of victory in the 14 games, 21 points. So the expectation right now for these semifinal games is that you're not going to get a close matchup. In fact, you're going to get a three-touchdown difference matchup on average looking at these matchups. You go back to year one, Oregon over Florida State by 39 points. Ohio State beats Alabama by seven. That was the Zeke Elliott, Cardell Jones, Ohio State team that went on to win a national championship. Year two, Clemson wins by 20. Alabama wins by 38. Year three, Bama wins by 17. Clemson wins by 31. Year four, Georgia over Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl by six. One of the rare single-digit games. In fact, we've only had three single-digit margin of victories uh, or margins of victory, uh, however that's that's appropriately said, in the college football playoff. So Georgia plus six over Oklahoma in year four, and then Alabama won their game that year by 18. Year five, Alabama by 11, Clemson by 27. Year six, which was last year, LSU obviously over Oklahoma by 35, and then Clemson and Ohio State had that close matchup a year ago, Clemson by six, and then 2020, 2021, whatever you want to call it, Alabama by 17, and everybody thought that Clemson was going to be the team blowing out Ohio State, Clemson over Ohio State by 21. So again, 14 semifinal games now where the average margin of victory is 21 points. We've only had three single-digit contests in this entire thing. It's pretty wild to me. And it, it was really funny as well, I think, on New Year's Day to watch, you know, obviously Cincinnati, Georgia, Georgia wins. Um, and I'll get into the hypocrisy of college football here in a second. But uh, to see Cincinnati lose and then to watch Notre Dame just get beat up the way they did, for people to complain about that number four spot and and try and say that the committee completely botched it to me is just wild because I don't know what your expectation is for that number four spot. No matter who they put in that situation, I don't think it changes the outcome. In fact, I don't think it changes necessarily whether we get a competitive football game. I, I said going into the Big 12 championship week and especially after the Big 12 championship, I thought if you were reseeding all of the teams today, regardless of record, Oklahoma was one of the best four. And most people, I think, responded to that with, your record has to matter, wins and losses have to matter. If you have two losses, you shouldn't be considered in the conversation. So fair enough, I I totally get that. And that's why I constantly ask the question with this college football playoff, what do we really want? 
Do we want the best four teams or do we want the most deserving teams? Because if we want the best four teams, I don't care if Oklahoma has two losses or not. Oklahoma should be considered ahead of, of an undefeated Cincinnati. They're a better football team. I truly believe Oklahoma beats Cincinnati. If they were to play, Oklahoma showed uh, obviously against a, a Florida team last week that, uh, you know, on the line of scrimmage and physicality wise, they've closed that gap. So I do think Oklahoma is the fourth team in the country if we were just going strictly based on who we believe are the best four teams. Because resume and schedule has to matter, Oklahoma didn't get quite the same consideration as the other teams. But look, I mean, who, what, what team was so egregiously left out of this thing that, that people are upset at the committee? Notre Dame got their opportunity. Alabama took, took advantage of them. A&M has already had that opportunity against Alabama. It was a similar outcome. Alabama dominated A&M. A&M also, by the way, just played a North Carolina team a lot like Notre Dame played that North Carolina team. So, I, again, I, Alabama against A&M for a second time, I think, is a similar outcome. I think for the second time, it's Alabama by a lot, and I don't think it looks a lot better than what Notre Dame put out there. Cincinnati lost to Georgia. So, we're, I mean, I, I know people always want to play the, like, they didn't care card or whatever, but I don't know what angle you want to attack this from as far as Cincinnati and whether they should have had that opportunity. Um, a buddy of mine in the media uh, on Thursday or Friday or whatever day that was uh, was talking about Notre Dame being in that game and it was an embarrassment and uh, just kind of laughing at the fact that the committee had put them in. And I'm like, who? Who do you put in their place where you, ex- you, you expect it to be considerably different? And I think a lot of people thought Cincinnati deserved that spot. Cincinnati just lost on New Year's Day to the SEC's number four team, a team that Alabama also blew out. Like, I don't think this is necessarily an issue where Cincinnati's just that far back from the pack as much as you're talking about trying to compare them to an Alabama team. Nobody is, I mean, nobody is, is I think, closing that gap with Alabama this year. Uh, and, and look, again, going back to the all the semifinal games, I think we've seen a pretty big margin uh, as far as the gap from the top teams in college football to even the next tier teams in college football. So the hypocrisy of the, the Cincinnati-Georgia game to me was hilarious as well because for the last week, we've heard nothing but the SEC is overrated, right? And, and put me in that category. The SEC is overrated. I've been an SEC defender for the last 10 years. I've been on the other side of the fence saying the SEC is the premier conference in college football. And I, I know a lot of people sometimes want to argue the teams at the bottom or the teams in the middle. The bottom line is, for the last 10 years, most seasons Alabama has had, or excuse me, I say Alabama. Alabama basically is the SEC this year. The SEC has basically had... Most seasons, two teams that we kind of feel like are in the championship tier. Most other conferences can't say that. And then they also generally have a third team or maybe even a fourth team that is probably on the same level as most other conferences' number ones and twos. So, you know, again, at the top, we've just seen where the SEC has had more really high-end teams than everybody else. I don't think that's the case in 2020. We talked about this a a week ago when the college football playoff thing came out and we were evaluating resumes. And if you watched football this year, I think it was pretty clear to see. The SEC was not the same conference that they've been in the past. Uh, That that gap has been closed. Again, I think because they have Alabama, they get a lot of credit. And and look, anytime you have the best team in college football, your conference is going to get a lot of credit for you know, the whole quality loss thing and all that. But I just don't think the SEC was head and shoulders above the Big 12, for example, this season. Now, could that go back to being the same way next year? Sure, it could. I'm not going to dispute that there isn't the opportunity for all those teams that were okay, uh, maybe in in tiers like two and three of college football, to to once again take a a step up. Uh, You know, Oklahoma's obviously going to, I think, be right back in that conversation out of the Big 12 as well. And I like some of the the high-end teams in the Big 12 going into next season. But it's just funny that we kind of, like, criticize the SEC for getting all the media love that they get. And we call them overrated. And then Cincinnati loses to the SEC's number four team. Not their champion. Not their runner-up. Not even their third-place team. Their fourth-place team. Cincinnati loses to their fourth place team and the narrative coming out of that game is Cincinnati proved they belong with the big boys. Okay, fair enough. 
Did they athletically show that they could play a close game against a, a good football team in Georgia? Yes. But if we're going back to that wins and losses have to matter thing, they lost. They didn't win the game. And secondly, they lost to the number four team in the SEC, the team that got blown out by the SEC's number one team. So if you're bringing Cincinnati to the table in terms of giving Alabama a better game in the 1-4 matchup of the college football playoff, that's crazy. They got blasted for their schedule. They got one opportunity against a really good Power 5 team in Georgia, and they played a good game. That was a good football game. But they lost it, again, to a team that Alabama completely dominated earlier in the season. So, once again, if you want expansion, I totally get that. I'm not arguing against expansion. I'm arguing against this idea Two parts. Arguing against this idea that the college football playoff committee just completely got it wrong, which I think is untrue. I don't know who else you put in that situation that makes it drastically better if we're still operating under the assumption that the regular season has to matter somewhat. So that's the first thing. If you want to be, hey, we need to put the best four teams in regardless of what their resumes are or what their records are or any of that, well, then fine. I, You know, that's a completely different conversation. But uh, if we're doing this thing based on what happens in the regular season has to matter, then the teams that were really having the conversation about being in that number four spot, none of them showed that they they really were deserving of that spot above what Notre Dame put on the football field. And to be quite honest with you, Notre Dame I, I kept Alabama from scoring 60. I mean... I don't know that uh, I don't know that Cincinnati is preventing Alabama from scoring a lot more points uh, than they did. Maybe Cincinnati's able to to score a little bit more than Notre Dame did, but I, I think on the line of scrimmage, Alabama's also winning that battle in a much greater way. And you know, again, I, I just don't think that there is another team that changes our minds drastically on what that number four matchup looks like. So uh, it's just it's a tough thing where we we look at the playoff and when the team that you root for doesn't get in, you don't like it. When the team you hate gets in, you don't like it. Uh, and I totally understand that as far as the fandom part. But when we really evaluate what the what the committee has done, who they've put in, uh, I, I think for the most part, it's worked out. Um, you know, there was questions about whether Ohio State deserved to be there in year number one. And what did they do? They went ahead and just won the whole thing. They won the national championship. There were questions this year about whether Ohio State looking very average, or even some said below average, uh, in in their uh, Big Ten championship against Northwestern, having only played six games was even deserving to be there. Well, once again, they showed that they're one of the best teams in college football, and they completely blow out Clemson. So, uh, I, I don't. I, I think the committee's done pretty well. I think they've given us the the best teams every year. I think it's it's worked out the way that it should work out when the games are actually played. And once again, when the dust settles, I don't think you can make a reasonable argument that anybody else should have been in that spot. Uh, if you Again, if you want to tell me A&M should have been there ahead of Notre Dame, that's totally fine, but the outcome I don't think is any different. They, they both got blown out by Alabama. Yeah, that happens to basically everybody that plays Alabama. Uh, they both played North Carolina similarly. Um, you know, I... I A&M didn't wow me against North Carolina. I'm not, I'm not dismissing their win over North Carolina. I give them credit for winning that game, but I, I don't know about anybody else. It wasn't a win that I thought, yep, one of the best four teams in the country definitely would have pushed Alabama, definitely would have played Alabama closer than Notre Dame did. Would they have? I, I don't know. I, maybe the second time around, it's worse. Alabama certainly, I mean... For as much as people want to say that was an early game, early in the season, A&M's a better team than they were when when they when Alabama beat them the first time. I think it's also true that Alabama's considerably better now than they were the first time. So um, that's just my thing with the college football playoff and really the hypocrisy of college football. How we can talk about the SEC being overrated, but then want to point to Cincinnati losing a close game against the number four SEC team and say, look. That's proof. They belong. They belong with the big boys. So if you belong with the big boys, then I think you have to live under the same umbrella as the big boys, and it's it's not about style points, right? Like, you lose to a, the number four team in a conference. Do you really deserve a shot at the number one team in that conference? So, um, I, look, credit Cincinnati for a great season. They were a fun watch all year long, and uh, I, I really enjoyed watching them. I'm, I'm not trying to... Uh, take away anything from that aspect. I just, we have these these conversations and arguments about college football every single year. And I just, I don't see where it's it's really been wrong 
when you consider the outcomes and then you watch these other teams in these bowl matchups and and I mean I just I, I think if you want to make a, a statement that you deserve to be there, then AM needed to go hammer North Carolina and dominate North Carolina. And they didn't do that. I mean, North Carolina led for a good portion of that game. So uh, there you go. That's that's what I've got on on college football, the semifinals, uh, and just the whole committee got it wrong thing. I'm all you know. I, I used to be completely against expansion as far as the playoff goes, for this reason because I think the gap between the best teams in college football and just the the next tier is so drastic. It's not like the NFL where we do these power rankings every year, right? Where it's like one to ten. Where I think if you if you really watched all those teams play each other one through ten, like it's not going to surprise anybody to see team ten beat team one in the NFL or play them close. I mean, the, the gap just isn't there in the NFL. Whereas in college football, the gap generally could it could be from one to two, it could be from the top two to the number three team. Uh, sometimes it's the top three. I mean, we talked about this in the BCS era. Most years, I think the BCS was getting it right. And then occasionally you would get a third team where we really felt like, hey, maybe that team is on par with the others. And that's why we grew this thing. And now we're at this point where I think almost every year, the number four team shows that they're clearly not in the same league as the top two or even the top three in a specific season. So I used to be completely against it. I'm, I think I've been swayed on the argument about inclusion for all conferences, all conferences having something to play for as far as the power five, and then maybe giving a group of five team that opportunity every year. And, and, you know, I think there's not a perfect system. There's no way to do this unless you create super conferences and make teams earn their way in. I think if you expand it too much and just allow every conference champion in, like, does anybody really want to watch seeing, seeing how Alabama completely dominated, for example, uh, Notre Dame or A&M earlier in the season. Do you really want to see, I mean, I know people wanted to see Cincinnati get their opportunity or even a Coastal Carolina who also lost their bowl game to Liberty. But we, we get those teams every once in a while that we feel like, hey, I'd like to see them against the big boys. But what happens when you don't? What happens if it's just randomly like a 9-3 and three Miami of Ohio team that is a conference champion and that's the best the group of five has to offer? And we're going to go, I mean, does that, does that move the needle at all? I mean, that's, that, that's basically the non-conference games that Alabama gets made fun of for. So there's not a perfect system, but I think I've come around on the whole inclusion thing. And if you want to grow it to eight, I, I don't think that that totally dilutes the regular season of college football. And it gives maybe a few more teams a little bit of extra drive because there's a more realistic shot to punch your ticket. Uh, but again, I think if you go much more than eight, you're also doing yourself a disservice because, I mean, it's basically going to be that we already complain about the teams with logos on their helmet, the known logos, the Blue Bloods, getting their opportunities. I mean, you go beyond eight, it, that becomes even worse. Uh, so eight, I think, wouldn't be a bad number, but don't give me this, we're going to eight because the college football, it'll make the college football playoff better or we won't have these blowouts. Like it, That doesn't change anything, really. I mean, it, it gives us an extra round. It makes Alabama and, for instance, this year, Ohio State play an extra game before they ultimately go meet for a national championship. I don't think all of a sudden you're going to look at, you know, maybe like Arizona winning the Pac-12 and Michigan State winning the Big Ten, and then both of those teams just go on this this incredible run to to get into the college football playoff championship so I, I don't think it changes a whole lot other than you get an extra round of games. But like when Alabama plays their opponents in the quarterfinal and the semifinal, I think we're still going to have a bunch of blowouts. So uh, there's this idea that expanding the playoff is going to make it better. I, I think it just adds games. And if we take this year as an example, let's just look at it from a one to eight playoff this year. We just watched Notre Dame. We just watched A&M in the last couple of days. How many people out there really wanted to, how many people really want a 4-5 Notre Dame A&M matchup? Like, are you super excited New Year's Day to wake up, go to your television, sit down and watch Notre Dame and A&M play in that 4-5 game? Like, does that really move the needle for you? I'm just curious. Uh, I would like to see it for sure, but I, I don't think it, it necessarily does a whole lot for me in terms of like feeling like one of those teams is 
going to make this run at a national championship. So if you want to add more high-end games at the end of the year, so be it. Like I said, I, I, I think I've come around on the playoff thing to eight and more inclusion. But if you're using the argument of making the playoff better, I don't think it really does anything. Again, who was going to play Alabama any better than Notre Dame did? I don't think Cincinnati plays them any better. I don't think A&M plays them any better. I'm not saying it's any worse, but Alabama's better than everybody. It's just, Alabama already beat A&M by a lot. By, what, 28 points. They beat Notre Dame by 24? 17. They beat Notre Dame by 17 points. They beat A&M by 28 points earlier in the season. Cincinnati just lost to Georgia, who Alabama also throttled earlier in the season. So, again, changing the four seed, I don't think would have changed anything ultimately. I was also surprised at how many people thought Clemson was going to completely blow out Ohio State. I asked the question on Twitter, actually, right before that game kicked off. I said, I didn't bother asking in the, in the Alabama-Notre Dame game because I feel like we all knew what was going to happen there. But what do you guys think is going to happen? What do you guys think is going to happen in this uh, Notre Dame-Clemson matchup? And, well, first of all, I think only one person even in the replies said Ohio State, but uh, the majority of the Clemson answers were also like, Clemson by two touchdowns, Clemson by three touchdowns, Clemson big, Clemson in a blowout, which honestly surprised me. I'll tell you this. I, th- I did pick Clemson to win the game. I thought it was going to be a one-possession game. I thought Ohio State would cover. Uh, in fact, one of my buddies last week when the spreads were announced was all over Clemson, and I'm like, dude, you're don't fall into that trap of watching Clemson having just dominated Notre Dame and Ohio State playing a subpar game against Northwestern and think that's exactly what both teams are going to look like against each other. Uh, These teams match up really well. Ohio State just has so many NFL dudes, just like Clemson. I liked the matchup. I thought it was going to be a really good game. Ultimately, I also liked Trevor Lawrence a little bit more than Justin Fields and thought that would be the difference. Uh, And credit Ohio State for having a great game plan. And look, where this game was won, I think, honestly, they dominated the line of scrimmage. Once again, it's so... I think we all get so caught up in quarterbacks, and I'm really guilty of getting caught up in quarterbacks. Uh, But, you know, to take that a step further, the skill position guys, and Clemson has really good skill position guys, right? Like Travis Etienne, for example. But in that matchup, first of all, the one area where Clemson isn't just great is the offensive line. They're, They're really good almost everywhere. They're better in some places than others. They're either star caliber in places or have really young guys that are going to be stars. They're just not there yet. The offensive line was the only area where I really felt like Clemson wasn't great. Not that they're bad. They're just, I I just never felt like Clemson was Clemson was great on the offensive line. And then for Ohio state, not that their defensive line has been great this season, but they have some players that are capable of dominating matchups. And look, one of those guys was even out uh, with, with uh, Zach Harrison, but, they, they dominated the line of scrimmage, and Trevor Lawrence was under siege all day long, and obviously uh, that Clemson offense, I get Tony Elliott wasn't there, the offensive coordinator, but obviously that offense was nowhere close uh, to what it's looked like throughout the season, and a lot of that was because Ohio State won the line of scrimmage. Same thing on the other side of the football. Uh, Ohio State was dominating the line of scrimmage, giving Justin Fields time to throw the ball down the field, and giving Trey Sermon room to run, and especially when Skowski got hurt. I, I thought it was game over. Um, he gets hurt, and Justin Fields was hurt at the same time. I thought at that point, if Fields is hurt, you have to completely sell out to stop the run because they were already running the football really well. So if you're if you're already getting beat running the football with Skowski, who's really important to their run defense, taking him out of the equation means you basically have to sell out to stop the run and make a hurt Justin Fields beat you. Now, you know, obviously, drugs... Uh, really helped Justin Fields play the rest of that football game, and he was spectacular. But they were just at a point, I think, without Skowski, where you've got you've to make up your mind to try and take away something because they were doing both running and passing at a high level, and you were going to have to just try and make them as one-dimensional as you could, and they were, they were never able to do that. I mean, Trey Sermon had a, another amazing game, and I thought it was hilarious that over the last, like, two to three weeks, all of the NFL draft people have been just, all over Justin Fields and dropping him in rankings and dropping him in mock drafts. And it's just so funny to me how this process works. The fact that people can can just get so carried away. And look, this this happens with good games too. Like like on uh, 
Thursday or Friday or whatever it was. But one performance sometimes can just completely change somebody's mind, uh, which is mind-blowing to me. I mean, it, what, the, what, what does this player look like consistently? And, and if, if a guy looks really good most of the time, this is where these trap games come in and then has a bad performance. It's like people just like completely forget about everything that's happened up to the point that they have a bad game or the other way around, right? Like Trevor Knight, for example, has all these games where he's kind of this, this, this guy, like we had a good idea of who he was. And then he has this out of body Alabama game. Like, did people really think that from that point on, that's who he was going to be? The answer should have been no, but um, you know, I think sometimes we just get so caught up in, in these one game performances, good or bad, and kind of forget everything that's happened leading up to that point. And, and that's not to say that there can't be games that change the player you are. I just need, you know, I, I always caution anybody, uh, like, especially like the Jalen Hurts thing with the Eagles. Like, let's wait till we see something consistently before we just jump on board with this guy is amazing because it happens all the time. Guys will have one or two good games. They're the next big thing, and the next thing you know, they're benched. Now, that I, I'm not, the Eagles thing is a whole different story, but uh, yeah, I just, I, it was really funny to me to see all of the uh, Justin Fields isn't in the same class as Trevor Lawrence comments, and then in all the mock drafts, he's, you know, dropping all the way down to like 10 in some, 9, 10, 11. Um, in some of these mock drafts, he was getting picked behind like Zach Wilson out of BYU, uh, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. So uh, that part of it was funny to me, and that's why I kind of cautioned a few of my buddies about this game and not just anticipating Clemson was going to completely blow out Ohio State. And, and look, you know, we talk about guys being out and how much that matters and all that or how much it doesn't matter in some cases. Um, I, I think when you're just talking about a matchup in general, Ohio State being without some pretty key pieces and then how they match up against Clemson with those pieces, that's a completely different story as well. So, um, you know, evaluating who a team is without one guy and then knowing that that guy is going to be back in the game plan for the next matchup completely changes what you should feel, I guess, about that team. So anyway, I wasn't surprised that Ohio State played well. I thought they would play well. I thought Clemson would play better. I thought it would be a good game, and it wasn't, and we have another blowout in the college football playoff. But I will say this, when just and, and we're going to talk about this throughout the week and then again next Monday, the national championship game is a lot of fun, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good game. Don't get me wrong. But once again, don't fall into the trap of thinking Ohio State is going to play Alabama the same way they played Clemson. This is so much about matchups. And like I just said, with the Ohio State defensive line, being able to take advantage of the, the position group that I consider with Clemson to be the weakest, the offensive line, it's a completely different matchup against Alabama. Alabama has the best O-line in the country. Run, run and pass. Ohio State is not going to be as disruptive on the line of scrimmage against Alabama as they were against Clemson. Therefore, Mac Jones is, is going to have more time to throw the football down the field. Everybody thought Clemson was going to be able to do that, and a lot of people felt like Clemson was going to win because the mismatch with the Ohio State secondary, because the Clemson receivers were going to be able to take advantage of the Ohio State secondary. Well, that didn't happen because the Ohio State defensive line dominated. I don't think the Ohio State defensive line is going to dominate the Alabama offensive line. I think Mac Jones is going to have more time. I think those Alabama receivers are going to just have a big day against the Ohio State secondary. So that's the first part. I don't think we're looking at the same offensive output from Alabama as we saw with Clemson. I think Alabama is going to have a lot more success offensively. On the other side of it, um, I, I think... Ohio State's going to need a similar performance offensively, which I think they're capable of. Um, you know, I think Justin Fields' health honestly plays a big role in, in how this game is played. If he is at a point where there's, you know, sometimes being adrenaline and also drugs in the moment really help you kind of overcome those things. But, I mean, 10 days out uh, and, and all of that sets in, I, I just don't know if we're going to see the same kind of guy. He's going to have to have, I think, that kind of performance uh, if, if Ohio State's going to stay competitive with Alabama, because I believe Alabama's going to score points. I think they're going to score more points uh, against Ohio State than they did against Notre Dame. So uh, it's just a matter of whether Ohio State, I think offensively uh, with, with Justin Fields and his health situation, are able to keep pace. So uh, I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a shootout. There are going to be a bunch of points scored. But I think ultimately it's, uh, it's just Alabama. I think they're just too balanced, too well-rounded, 
Um, just too much basically everywhere for the Crimson Tide. So I think it's another Alabama championship, but um, I do I do like how Ohio State matches up in some places. They have playmakers to be able to answer Alabama when they score a lot like Florida did with Trask and Kadarius Toney. Um, you know, Chris Olave is is a game changer as far as his his ability to stretch a defense. Uh, Trey Sermon has been outstanding uh, since uh, he's gotten that opportunity. Uh, Master Teague going down the the starting Ohio State running back all year opened the door for Trey Sermon to start in the Big Ten Championship and then again in the semifinal. And Trey Sermon has absolutely made the most of his opportunity and been incredible for the last two games. And honestly, probably drastically changed his draft stock. Uh, he wasn't even the starter the majority of the season. So all of a sudden, he not only goes from being a backup running back to having these two monster games in the biggest games of the season. And uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that Trey Sermon has made himself a lot of money over the last two weeks. But this is going to be a, a fun Fun college football national championship. All right, let's switch to the NFL. Busy NFL weekend, and we're, we already kind of have a busy offseason when you consider all the firings that have taken place. Uh, six new NFL job openings. Jaguars job open. Jets fired Adam Gase. Lions, Matt Patricia, obviously, earlier in the year. Falcons got rid of Dan Quinn. The Texans got rid of Bill O'Brien. And today, the Chargers parted ways with Anthony Lynn. So, Six job openings in the NFL. Uh, I, I do think it's really intriguing because anytime we talk about job openings, the first question is, what is their quarterback situation like? Uh, and in the NFL, that that means so much, um, especially because if you don't have the guy, you're either going to have to draft the guy or you're going to have to spend a boatload of money to get the guy. So it's so important to have that piece already in place if you're evaluating multiple opportunities so let's just look at these six positions. First of all, the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien should be ashamed of himself for completely dismantling a championship contending team to the point that Deshaun Watson has the season he had and they're, they, they, they don't even sniff the playoffs. What an embarrassment. Uh, but the Texans' job open. Deshaun Watson, obviously the future there. Same thing with the Chargers. Young football team. That might be my favorite situation moving forward uh, considering some of the Nice defensive pieces they have, and then Justin Herbert in place. So Chargers have Justin Herbert. Falcons, this is one that's interesting because they have Matt Ryan in place, who you don't necessarily have to replace immediately, but you have to start looking for his replacement, and you have the number four pick in this draft. So if if there is somebody available at four, whether it's Zach Wilson or maybe Justin Field slides, which I don't think will be the case, but uh, Trey Lance, like if they fall in love with somebody, they're also going to have the opportunity to get their next guy. So Falcons have Matt Ryan and the number four pick. Lions in the same situation. They have Matt Stafford and the number seven pick. Uh, so it's not like urgent necessarily to, to go ahead and make that move, but you have a pick in a deep quarterback class where if there's a guy you really like, uh, maybe you maybe you trade up, or if at seven there's somebody you really like, you're, you're able to take that opportunity. And if you feel like he's a project, you don't have to play him immediately because you still have Matt Stafford. Jets... Sam Darnold, I, I think we've kind of have seen everything we're going to see from Sam Darnold, although I would still say the skill set is good enough that, although I wouldn't bet on it, if he were to go somewhere else and get another opportunity, I don't know that, I mean, I'm not just going to say that it's not a better situation. I mean, the Jets were a complete disaster. Adam Gase obviously uh, did not do a good job. So I don't think Sam Darnold at this point is a game changer, but I, I think if he went somewhere else, he would have more success than he had in New York, which, again, that bar is very, very low. But they've got the number two pick, and I, I think it's a no-brainer that uh, it's Justin, or excuse me, Trevor Lawrence one, Justin Fields two. Uh, and then the Jaguars, obviously, I, I'm not even going to mention anybody on their current roster because they are going quarterback number one overall. Um, and look, some people think that Justin Fields literally in the last three weeks played himself out of the number two spot and then into the number one spot in the last two ballgames. So take that for what it's worth. But look, this draft class has six guys that are considered to be first-round talents with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, uh, and then Mac Jones, Alabama, and Kyle Trask. I think is the lowest of those six by a decent margin, but he's still a guy that I think a lot of NFL evaluators put in the first-round conversation. If there was going to be one of those guys that, that doesn't go in the first, I think it's Trask for me. Um, and look, I talked about this before the Oklahoma-Florida game. I was one of the few people that was like, you're going to, I think I even said, 
quote, you're going to see a completely different version of Kyle Trask because I think he a lot of his success was predicated on having great playmakers making great plays consistently. So in the NFL, uh, most of the time when you're a first-round pick, it's uh, you don't go into a situation where you're just able to let playmakers make plays for you. More often than not, uh, you are on a team that has very little to be excited about. And I think if Kyle Trask gets a first-round selection to a team that really needs a quarterback right now, it's probably a bad situation where uh, maybe, maybe he doesn't play right away. But anyway, uh, all that to say, there are six quarterbacks in this in this draft class that are considered to be first-round type talents uh, and, and could potentially go in the first round. So the job openings, Texans, Chargers, Falcons, Lions, Jets, and Jags. Uh, playoff matchups. I so I like Wild Card Weekend anyway. This one is awesome though because we have three games Saturday, three games Sunday. I don't know that they're across the board. Every matchup is great. Like Saints Bears really is is uh, unappealing. I think for the most part, but I mean look at this thing with Saints Bears Seahawks Rams. Washington football team, Buccaneers in the NFC, Bills, Colts, Steelers, Browns, Titans, Ravens in the AFC. I actually like all three AFC games. I'm really excited to watch all three of those matchups. In the NFC, um, eh, I guess like Washington, Tampa is just interesting from the aspect of Chase Young, Tom Brady, uh, Seahawks, Rams, I guess. I mean... It, that one doesn't move the needle for me drastically uh, in terms of just evaluating that matchup against the rest of them. And then, you know, again, Bears, like, what did they lose? Six straight and still get into the postseason? I think I think I heard it was six straight, and that's the first team in NFL history to do that. But I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, Saints were my preseason pick to go to the Super Bowl and lose to the Chiefs. Um, but I think it's pretty clear-cut, at least for me right now, I, I couldn't pick against either number one seed at all. Like, I, I just, not even close. I, I don't think that uh, if you even gave me good odds, I would pick somebody above those two teams. I just think both quarterbacks, both teams are really good anyway, but both quarterbacks are also playing so well. It's just, uh, to me, a no-brainer. So, um, but yeah, Saturday, starting at noon, we have Bills-Colts, the Saturday afternoon matchup, Seahawks-Rams, and then Saturday night, uh, the Tom Brady show against Washington. And then on Sunday, this is probably the better slate of games. Um, I guess just because you start with that Titans-Ravens game, which might be my favorite matchup of the weekend. Uh, and everybody obviously remembers the playoff game a year ago. But uh, Titans-Ravens at noon on Sunday. And then we have uh, Saints-Bears. Like I said, probably my the most unappealing game of the weekend is the afternoon game on Sunday. And then Sunday night football... Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, what a story Baker Mayfield and the Browns are. Um, you know, I know that Kevin Stefanski had the the press conference yesterday where he's talking about, like, you know, we're not just happy to be here. We still got a lot to prove and all of that. And I, I, I totally get that. I, I love that mentality. But this organization has been the worst, I think, the laughingstock of the NFL for a long, long time. They haven't been in this position in two decades. And 2018 rolls along. They have the number one pick. They draft a guy named Baker Mayfield, who I, I think there were a lot of mixed um, mixed comments about whether it was a good pick or a bad pick or whether it would work or not. Uh, I thought it was a great pick. Uh, and and not just because I thought Baker, from a, from a football standpoint, was going to be good in the NFL, but I thought you're going to have to have a guy that is so mentally tough to survive the suckage of Cleveland that's going to be able to go in there and when things go bad, keep his head high and keep performing at a high level and just the ultimate confidence in himself and his team and just the ultimate belief that it's going to turn around. And and like I, I don't know that there's even anybody else in the NFL from a mentality standpoint that I would put in that same category. I mean, Baker Mayfield is just supremely confident in his abilities and his team every single time he takes the field. Like, that is a guy that I truly believe every time he's on the football field, he believes he's going to make the game-winning play or his team is going to win the game. Doesn't always happen, uh, but I, to, to take him in that position and just to kind of watch 
the roller coaster that has been Cleveland Browns football over the last several seasons. Uh, the highs, the lows, like they bring in Odell Beckham and everybody is like, you know, the Browns are going to make the playoffs and maybe really be contenders in the AFC. Uh, and then the complete disappointment that was last year. A month into this football season, I remember having uh, Kyle Kelly, who covers the Browns, on the podcast. And we were talking about how, like, in the first few weeks of the season, most of the Browns media was ready to pull the plug on, on the Baker Mayfield experiment, uh, which is mind-blowing to me. But here they are, um, again, I, I know that it's not just making the playoffs. It's doing something once you're there. I actually like their matchup uh, against Pittsburgh. They're the underdog. Pittsburgh's a three-and-a-half-point favorite, which I don't get. But... Um, I, I actually like the Browns in that matchup. So I, I just think it's a great story. And the turnaround there for a guy that, you know, again, just you had to have the right quarterback, not just with the right skill set, but the right mentality to turn that thing around. And, and Baker Mayfield is that guy. So um, that's it's awesome to see. Awesome to see Baker Mayfield, you know, kind of overcoming a lot of his own issues as well. Because he's, he's certainly had his own struggles throughout his time in the NFL. So anyway... NFL job openings and the first, what, 16, 18 picks of the NFL draft are set. Dallas Cowboys picking at 10. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about this also over the next couple months. Uh, and, and look, when you talk about draft evaluation, this year is unlike almost every year because to this point, we've not had the same draft evaluation out of each NFL team as you've ever had. So, like even last year when we didn't have combines and all that, you still had a lot of in-season scouting from the previous college football season. Whereas this year, it's it's not even close. I've heard several NFL people talk about how uh, basically they are not starting from square one, but close to that when the season ends as far as their draft evaluations and scouting players. So I think it, right now, when you look at player rankings and mock drafts and, and all that good stuff, we know this in an, in a normal year, it changes so much from the end of the season till the actual draft. Like I, I every year I keep this list uh, where there are, there are like 10 different mock drafts that I kind of monitor every year. And I kind of keep this running list of guys that are picked to be first round draft picks at the start of this whole process. And then all the way up to like the day before the draft. And it never fails. Like you end up, there, there ends up being like 80 guys on that list because this process, you know, people's minds get changed so much about these prospects that, you know, one day a guy is, is the 10th best player in the draft. The next day he's a second rounder. Um, you know, part of it is you might just be in a position where maybe you're like 1A or 1B, the two best players at that position, but only that position only gets taken once in the first round. And so a guy that might have been the best player at his position, they prefer the other guy, and then all of a sudden, like nobody's drafting a center until you know the middle of the second round. I mean, that could be a Creed Humphrey type situation. Although, again, I think he is a first-round talent. I think there's a good chance he gets taken first. But, uh, you know, a center in the first round is not a guarantee by any means. So... I, this is going to be a wild, I think, year to kind of watch the draft process. How how many changes, I guess, there are from now until the time we actually get to the NFL draft. But look, even over the last week, as I've, I've kind of started my list, there are, I mean, already I haven't even done a total count, but I'll, I'll just go through the positions real quick. So, like I said, I monitor about 10. I don't know the exact number, but about 10 mock drafts throughout this whole process. I, mock drafts that I feel like are pretty consistent over the years with maybe not nailing the picks, but giving you a good idea as to like where a guy may be drafted, like, you know, 15 to 20, 25 to 30, that kind of thing. Uh, so right now we're at a point where on the list, there, there have been six quarterbacks in, in the first round of these mock drafts, two running backs. You can guess those two, Etienne and Najee Harris. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine receivers at this point. Nine different receivers over the last week I've seen as, as not, not all in the same draft. Like I'm not saying nine receivers going in the first round, but I'm saying nine different names in terms of, you know, maybe, maybe this one has these three receivers and then this guy, and then maybe it's a different guy at the end of, of another one. But, 
uh, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, Chris Olave, Terrence Marshall Jr., Amon Ross St. Brown from USC, and Kadarius Tony out of Florida. Nine receivers in the last week that I've seen in, in, in the first round of a, at least one of these mock drafts. Uh, two tight ends. Let's see, one, two, three, seven offensive tackles, three guards, two centers, uh, edge rushers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine edge rushers, including Nick Benito, I saw, was uh, a first-round mock draft guy a week ago. Again, we don't even, I, I don't think to this point at least, I've even seen him make a decision on whether he's going, but somebody was like, this dude, uh, you know, especially after he started getting all the All-American awards, I think he he landed on some radars. Uh, interior defensive line, this is one that generally every year, like the best guy or maybe best two guys are guaranteed top 10 picks. Um, you know, a year ago, like I, I loved Derek Brown out of Auburn and uh, Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina. Um, you know, every year there are, I, this is a position that I think is just so important in the NFL today. Um, there are six of these guys that I've seen, again, being first-round picks. None of them, though, in the top 10 of any draft. So it's it's really interesting. Like, I, Dallas, I think, needs this position very, very badly. Um, They may have their choice of any interior defensive lineman in the draft at number 10. Uh, well, again, we'll see how much this changes over the course of the next few months and this process because it always does drastically. And this year, I think it's going to change more than it ever has. But that's that's the current uh, climate is these interior defensive line guys not valued as as the elite players in this draft. Um, linebackers, this is where Zayvon Collins is almost unanimously in every single one of these a first-round pick. Uh, but here we got five linebackers. Corners, again, it's a pass-happy league. Uh, nine corners I've seen, nine different corners I've seen as first-round picks. To me, there are three that I think are just clearly the elite guys of the class with uh, Sertan out of Alabama, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech, and J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. I still think there are good corners after that. I just think those three guys, like, I, I feel like there's a good separation between those three guys and everybody else. And then uh, safety, uh, let's see, Javon Hall in Oregon, Cisco, Syracuse, Paris Ford, Pitt. Uh, so there you go. It's... Uh, Again, we're already at a massive number as far as just the first week of, of me kind of monitoring this. And, and I'll, I'll keep track of it all year long and, and update you throughout the process. But it's just an, it's an interesting and fascinating, uh, I think, storyline for, for the draft from the time the season ends until the draft actually happens. All right, so that's going to wrap up this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast. By the way, I don't know if anybody saw this, but I've been on uh, KOCO the last few days. So if you had the opportunity to check that out, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I think you can actually find those replays on their website if you missed it by by chance, or I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find them and retweet it. But um, a lot of fun joining my buddy Brian Keating on K- KOCO Channel 5, talking Oklahoma State football, Oklahoma football, um, I, I said championship or bust for the Sooners next year. I think it's it's that sort of season where it lines up in a really good way for Oklahoma. We'll talk more about that tomorrow as well. Uh, Oklahoma 2021 expectations. Because, I, I again, I think when you consider what Oklahoma brings back, the, the positive momentum they have, and then kind of look at everyone else and maybe what they're losing. Um, not to say that, you know, a team like Alabama loses a lot every year, but they also have a lot ready to go every year. So, I, like, I don't think Alabama just is taken out of the mix, but they are losing a lot of really good players uh, in comparison to, to a team like Oklahoma, for example. So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get into that a lot tomorrow. Um, and, you know, Oklahoma State as well, uh, because they're a team that is really interesting, I think, in terms of next year and maybe just removing the massive expectations. And that's that seemingly when they are the most dangerous. Uh, I think everybody is for that matter, but there you go. This episode is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, abotanicalcompany.com. When you check out online, use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, to get 15% off your online order. So really cool that we're able to save you some money. Again, the website is outstanding, easy to navigate, 
Use the code Colby Show to save yourself 15% off your online order. Again, easy and safe pickup. Um, great people. If you have questions, here, here's the thing. If you have questions, give them a call and ask questions. Let them help educate you on the benefits of their products and how they can help you live a better life every single day, a better day-to-day life. Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right. Uh, if you want to hit me up, feel free to do so at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. Uh, also, we are gonna we are posting these shows now on YouTube. So I haven't really been promoting it uh, necessarily, but um, I have been putting them on YouTube as like a way to archive the shows. So if you want to go back and watch the show, if you if you miss the live stream for some reason uh, and you want to go back and watch the show, you're able to do that on YouTube. So just search Colby Daniels and you'll see the channel there uh, with the podcast logo. And uh, yeah, check it out there as well. So really excited about that. And uh, man, it's 2021. And I, I think, you know, nothing really changed when the year changed, but I can put myself in this category for sure. I think it's always nice to just have like a reset, even if it's not like a real reset, but like even the facade of a, of a fictional reset where the year changes, you're like, all right, fresh start, uh, kind of, you know, put everything that happened in 2020 behind you. Um, I don't know. I, hopefully, hopefully that's what has happened for everybody else. And uh, you kind of feel like you got a reset and you're starting fresh and able to kind of overcome the, the next obstacles that are, that are headed your way, not feel like you're drowning in everything that happened in 2020. But uh, anyway, happy new year, everybody. Hope you guys stay safe and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.